Please pray with me. Great are you, Lord, and most worthy of praise. No one can measure your greatness. We stand in awe of your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds should ever be on our tongues to proclaim your greatness, your wonderful goodness, and your righteousness. Every truth about you, every attribute, is saturated with holiness. Father God, as we study your holiness, and as I speak of your holiness, fill us to overflowing with your powerful Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. Help us to grasp more and more fully how awesomely holy you are and how we are to grow in holiness until we look just like your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. Have you ever been rendered completely speechless, dumbstruck, flabbergasted, have your senses ever been too stunned for words? What was the cause of your speechlessness? Was it shock? Trauma? Maybe you stepped out of your comfort zone. Or maybe you were in a situation where you felt intimidated or afraid. But imagine standing in the very presence of the God who is holy, holy, holy. If you saw God in the fullness of his holiness, could you describe it? Would your words do such a glorious vision justice? In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of God's holiness. What he witnessed was indescribable, impossible to put into human terms. God is utterly outside of our categories in his power and might and holiness. The only thing I can think of to relate it to is the explosion of an atomic bomb. Nuclear power. This brings to mind a powerful force that culminates in a big mushroom cloud. If you and I stood in the middle of that mushroom cloud... We would be obliterated by one of the most powerful forces known to man. Nuclear power is probably the closest our finite minds can come to describing an experience of the infinite holiness of God. The prophet Isaiah experienced a vision of the blazing, crushing power of the Almighty God with just a small glimpse of God's white-hot moral perfection. And there he stood, unclean. Imagine how he felt. Imagine how you would feel. Decimated, obliterated, flattened by nuclear explosion. Isaiah's encounter, encounter with God was positively nuclear. His searing hot experience of God's holiness had the power to obliterate, destroy. Yet under God's control, the experience was life-changing. 
If you and I want the same life-changing experience, we must understand the holiness grounded in God's very nature. Indeed, if we are to pursue the holiness that he demands of his covenant people, we must have an accurate vision of God's holiness. The truth is, is that an accurate vision of God's holiness inspires our pursuit of holiness. That is what we will explore in this topical lesson on God's holiness and the meaning of circumcision. So we have two divisions, sign of circumcision and spiritual circumcision. Our first division is sign of circumcision. Joshua 5 verses 7 through 9. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The word circumcise literally means to remove body parts or organs. This is exactly what happened in the Old Testament ritual of circumcision. Established by God through his servant Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, circumcision involved the cutting off of the male foreskin. God initiated this as a sign of his covenant promises to his covenant people. When God's people were circumcised, it was meant to be an act of consecration or being declared sacred for service and obedience to God rather than obedience to the pagan gods around them and rather than living to the pleasures of self and sin. Circumcision was a divine seal on God's chosen people that required a human response of obedience. Circumcision signified membership in the covenant community of God's people, much the same way baptism signifies membership in God's church. The ESV Study Bible notes that as the initiating rite of the Old Covenant, circumcision had signified cutting away sin, undergoing a change of heart, and being included in the household of faith. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that in their baptism into Christ and into his body, Gentiles have already been circumcised. Baptism is the circumcision of Christ, and it signifies the washing away of sin, personal renewal by the Spirit of God, and membership in the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to make an important point about the unity of the covenant of grace in both the Old and New Testament era, namely that Gentile believers are not expected to follow the Old Covenant mode of identification with God and his people, but their faith in Christ has nevertheless made them as much children of Abraham as if they were ethnic Jewish believers. Baptism is not identical to circumcision, but it corresponds to it in essence and has replaced it as the sign of the covenant. So this means that the sign of circumcision, 
that is the circumcision of the flesh, in the Old Testament pointed God's people to his promised Messiah, the one whose death would destroy sin's power and pay the debt owed by sinful man in accordance with the law. Thanks be to God for sending his son, Messiah, whose death canceled our debt, nailing it to the cross, and thus meeting the required legal demands of God's law. Physical circumcision, the sign of Israel's covenant with God, highlighted the holiness of God's character or his very nature. Believers need an accurate vision of God's holiness to inspire their pursuit of holiness. His holy nature permeates scripture because God is most fully understood through the lens of his holiness. The word kadash is Hebrew for holy one, a title for God used by the prophets Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Habakkuk. It is also used in the Psalms and in the book of Job. It is a title that emphasizes God's otherness, separateness, and mystery. God's holiness is the totality of his perfection. In his holiness, God exists above and apart from the world he made. Scripture teaches that his holiness is so utterly awesome that no one can see God and live. Every Israelite knew this. But how do we explain Isaiah's jaw-dropping experience? Look closely with me at Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw in a vision the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, with the train of his royal robe filling the most holy part of the temple. Above him, heavenly beings called seraphim stood, and one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, and the temple was filling with smoke. Isaiah did not see God in his fullness. What he describes is the hem or the train of God's robe. Yet Isaiah's vision fills his mind with the holy majesty that surrounds the Lord. Notice that while he does not describe the Lord's physical being, his description is of one so holy, so majestic, and so glorious that he is seated on his throne and just the hem of his robe fills the temple. If the hem of his robe filled the temple, how big was his robe? How big was his throne? How big, how awesome, and how holy is this Lord God Almighty? What must it have been like to experience the presence of such awesome, holy power? I'd say it was a positively nuclear experience. God's holy presence filled the temple. As we learned in Joshua chapters five through, 3 through 5, the temple was not just a symbol of God's dwelling place. 
It is the reality of it. When his robe fills the temple, it reveals his holy reign is majestic, full of glory. God's glory is most simply defined as the sum total of all his attributes. And every one of those attributes is infused with his holiness. Isaiah is overwhelmed. God is always more than we bargain for. Isaiah's eyes could not contain him or take him in. Isaiah did not see the Lord face to face, yet he knew it was the Lord, the King of Kings, the very personification of holy. Isaiah's vision of God on his throne included the sights and sounds of a shaking temple filled with smoke and seraphs flying around calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This was a felt experience, a, th a 4D experience. What an experience of holiness, of glory. Isaiah saw the Lord's glory. He felt it, heard it, smelled it. His whole being was engulfed with nuclear-powered praise from the seraph singing the perfected praise. Holy, holy, holy. Now, this was not just repetition. It was emphasis. They are literally saying perfection times perfection times perfection. Does this help you? more fully understand the holiness of God? You and I need an accurate vision of God's holiness. His holiness means he's unique. There is none like him. He is incomparable, perfect, without equal, separated from everyone and everything. His holiness is his godness in all his attributes, works, and ways. To say that God is holy, holy, holy is to say that God is God alone. He is not like us, only bigger and nicer. He is in an altogether different category. The vision of God's throne and robe, along with the perfected praise of the seraphs for the perfect one, hit Isaiah with powerful senses of the holiness and the majesty of God. He could barely describe it. Can you identify with Isaiah? All attempts to describe God in terms of our created world and our finite knowledge will always fail. This is why it was necessary for him to come in a way that we could relate as a man named Jesus. Because Isaiah's vision predated Jesus Christ's arrival by some 700 years, he grappled with the limitation of words or language to describe what he saw. The ancient Israelites struggled with the same limitations, yet they were called to be holy because the Lord God who chose them is holy. An accurate vision of God's holiness would inspire them to pursue holiness. To help his covenant people grasp 
his holiness. God gave them ritual practices and demanded their adherence to his moral laws. This points to the ethical, moral holiness of God. Scripture teaches us that God is the Holy One who separated a people for himself. He expects his people to keep his commandments and do them. He will not tolerate those who profane his name because he must be sanctified among his people as he actively sanctifies his covenant people. He is the holy God who cannot do wickedness or wrong. Evil cannot dwell with him. The boastful cannot stand in his presence. And he hates all evil doers. Our holy God hates meaningless sacrifice or vain offerings in rote religion. He hides his eyes from those who offer them. He makes his holy name known to his covenant people and will not let his holy name be profaned. Finally, our holy God expects his children to be holy in all of their conduct simply because he is holy. All his commands were designed to set his people apart for God. Because God's holiness involves not just separation from sin, but his absolute hostility toward it. His covenant people must be holy. They must be separated from sin. In the book of Genesis, God declared war on sin. The battle against it has raged on in the spiritual realm ever since. Later in Genesis, he commanded his covenant people to be circumcised, a sign of cutting away all that is sinful. The Israelites were called to be set apart for God, devoted to his service, and committed to honoring his character by reflecting it in all their relationships. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is recognized as the Holy One of God, and it is the demons who do so. They were threatened by his power and his purity. As believers, we are called to reflect the character of Christ, to be holy because he is holy. Holiness for a believer includes the same hostility towards sin and evil as God. Believers are called to stand against all that is unholy. This is how we pursue personal holiness. Sin and evil must be circumcised or cut off from the life of a believer. Naturally, we have no desire to do this. Just as it is very doubtful that the Israelites were jumping up and down to get circumcised on the cusp of entering the promised land ready for battle. But a holy God commands this of his people. They must be holy because he is holy. Incredibly, he enables his people to be holy. Kiddosh, the Holy One, desires a holiness in his people that is impossible for sinful fallen humans to attain. 
So God provided a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and his finished work on the cross. He gifts all who receive his son by faith with a holiness that allows them to enter his presence. Believers can stand in the middle of the mushroom cloud of God's nuclear holiness because they are protected by the robe of Christ's righteousness. In Christ, believers are given an accurate vision of God's holiness, and it is a vision that is life-changing. Our first truth is that a vision of God's holiness is a life-changing experience. How could an accurate vision of God's holiness change your life? How much time did you spend meditating on his moral, ethical holiness this week? Was it a life-changing experience for you? If your spirit registered no change, Go back to your lesson and look up the scriptures that paint an accurate vision of God's holiness. Scripture consistently and accurately highlights God's moral, ethical holiness, as well as our complete lack of holiness. They highlight our need to be cleansed of personal sin, to circumcise it or cut it off. What could you do to sharpen your vision of God's moral, ethical holiness? If you, like Isaiah, stood before the holy, holy, holy God, what sins would be revealed? God's word is our Isaiah vision. In it, we see God's holiness revealed revealed in pinpoint accuracy. As you and I choose to walk in the light of God's word, it reveals that even as children of God, we need the precious blood of Jesus Christ to not only pay for our sins, but to regularly cleanse us from our sins. Fission is a nuclear reaction that unleashes great power. It can cause either great harm in warfare or great good in providing electricity and medical treatment. Although used for both good and evil purposes, nuclear fission invokes fear because its power is so great. In the same way, the holiness of God strikes fear in the hearts of believers and unbelievers alike. For believers, a holy fear of God is life-changing because it brings them to repentance and genuine faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ. It inspires the pursuit of holiness. For unbelievers, a delayed fear of the holy God will also one day be life-changing. Their failure to acknowledge the holiness, power, and majesty of the one true God will ultimately result in an eternal life of damnation. The holiness of God cannot 
and will not be diminished by those who reject him. You and I need an accurate vision of God's holiness to keep us moving in the right direction, God's direction. His desire for his covenant people to be holy requires a circumcised heart. This is the topic of our second division, spiritual circumcision. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Apostle Paul speaks of the circumcision of the heart to refer to a pure heart that is separated by and for God. In Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29, he says the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you do not obey God's law, you are no better off than uncircumcised Gentiles. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you, you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. The circumcision God required of his people in the Old Testament was merely an outward sign of being set apart to God. It did not magically heal a sinful heart. Physical circumcision is worthless to those who harbor sin in their hearts. It cannot make anyone right with God. The Israelites demonstrated this over and over again throughout the Old Testament as they rebelled against God and disobeyed his commands. They needed changed hearts. We all need changed hearts. Paul calls this change that we need circumcision of the heart. He says only the Holy Spirit can purify human hearts and set people apart to God. Paul taught his readers a truth rooted in the Old Testament law or the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord uses the metaphor of circumcision to express his desire for a holy people. He says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. He will remove their desire to sin from their hearts so that they will love the Lord your God with all their hearts and all their souls so that they may live as recipients of his blessing.
heart circumcision is required to be truly set apart, to love God fully inside and out. Heart circumcision is required if we want an accurate vision of God's holiness. The focus here is on the majestic holiness of God, his inherent greatness, his uncompromising character, his transcendent distinctness from all his creatures in infinite majesty. Isaiah caught but a small glimpse of this majestic holiness, and he was forever changed. God's holiness defines the very essence of who he is. Isaiah 5.16 says that he is majestically holy because he is exalted in justice, holy in righteousness. Isaiah 57.15 says he is high and lifted up, the one who inhabits eternity, dwelling in the high and holy place. Yet he condescends to dwell in all who are lowly and contrite in spirit, to revive their spirits and their hearts. God has always wanted more from his covenant people than external conformity to a set of rules. He has always wanted them to possess a heart to love, know, and follow him. Even in the Old Testament, God's priority was spiritual circumcision of the heart, not the physical circumcision of the flesh. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, he tells his people, Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Both the Old and New Testaments express the critical need for repentance and inward change to be made right with God. Jesus Christ fulfilled every jot and tittle of God's holy law so that through faith in him, we can be made right with God and receive eternal life. This is the truth of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, true spiritual circumcision of the heart is performed by the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the outward sign of this reality. This reveals there are parallels between baptism and circumcision, but they symbolize two very different covenants. Under the old covenant, every male was circumcised to be accepted into the Jewish community, whether he showed any devotion to God or not. However, they recognized that physical circumcision was not enough. Under the new covenant, believers are born again spiritually by the breath of the Holy Spirit of God. The sign of that covenant is baptism. For believers, baptism is an outward sign of their inward spiritual circumcision. This circumcision does not involve the cutting of the body. It is a cutting away of our old sin nature. It is a spiritual act, 
and refers to nothing less than our salvation from sin affected by the Holy Spirit. Baptism does not replace circumcision of the flesh. It follows circumcision of the heart. Baptism represents rebirth in Christ. When we believe in Christ and are saved, we die to self and are raised to new life in Christ. That new life is infused with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who delights in inspiring believers to pursue holiness by giving them an accurate vision of God's holiness. He is, after all, the Holy Spirit of God. He is not some mystical force or impersonal power. He is God. Therefore, he possesses the same exact characteristics of God, which includes his holiness. He is a divine person, a being with a mind, emotions, and a will. One of his roles within the triune Godhead is to proclaim God's majestic holiness and to inspire as well as enable holiness in God's people. An accurate vision of God's holiness demands a response, and the Holy Spirit equips our response. Apart from his power, we are unable to respond. Apart from his mighty work, our hearts remain uncircumcised. Once he performs the spiritual circumcision of the heart, we, like Isaiah, catch sight of God's holiness, and that vision demands a response. Our second truth is that a vision of God's holiness demands a response. How might an accurate vision of God's holiness change the way you respond to God? How do you understand God's call on your life in light of his majestic holiness? God went nuclear on Isaiah. When the magnitude of his majestic holiness touched Isaiah, it demanded a response. Isaiah first responded with a deep conviction of his sinfulness. He cries out, woe is me, I am undone, doomed, a sinful man with unclean lips. But after being cleansed by a live coal, Isaiah was awakened to live for God. His cry becomes, here am I, send me. An accurate vision of God's holiness awakens our souls to sin and gives us a hunger to be his voice, his hands, and his feet to our generation. God nuked sin from our lives to redeem us and make us his own. He expects nuclear-powered service in return, a divine service that circumcises the flesh to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. A vision of God's holiness demands a response. How will you respond to God's call to be holy? When you surrender all you have and all you are to the Holy Spirit, 
you are fused together with one who is more powerful than an atomic bomb. Walking and serving in the spirit produces an explosion of God's power accomplished by his divine grace. Our responsibility is to keep an accurate vision of God's holiness ever before us by living in light of his word. That vision alone will keep us acutely aware of our sinfulness and our need to pursue holiness. A vision of God's holiness demands a response, and one response is nuclear-powered service to the Lord. Have you been rendered speechless by the vision of God's holiness? How has a fuller revelation of his holiness impacted your soul? Often it is hard to put into words. A popular Christian song attempts to imagine what it will be like to come face to face with the Holy Lord God Almighty. Face to face with the personification of holy. The songwriter muses, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Isaiah did not have to imagine he experienced a vivid 4D vision of the holiness of God when he saw the Lord seated on his throne. What would you do in a holy moment like that? What will you do now that you have been given a fresh vision of the holiness of God? I hope and I pray you will choose to pursue holiness. Without it, no one will see God. Let the accurate vision of God's holiness inspire you to pursue holiness. Please pray with me. Holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. You are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in compassion and loving kindness. You alone are truly holy, and you alone can make us holy. We praise you for your incomprehensibly majestic holiness. Continue to give us fresh and biblically accurate visions of your holiness until we cannot help but say, Oh, my soul, bless your Lord. He is holy increasingly deepen our understanding of your holiness to inspire our pursuit of personal holiness. We want to be holy just as you are holy. We humbly ask this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <music>